So, I want to tell you guys a story. Let's say you hired me to knock a wall down in your house, which would never happen. But let's say that you did. Okay, let's say you're like, okay, I need this wall knocked down. I think Ricky can do it. And so you come to me and you're like, okay, I'm going to charge you $10,000 to knock down that wall. Yeah, I'm pretty expensive uh, because I work for the Lord. And so you're getting an anointing. And so $10,000 to knock down a three-foot wall. So here I am. And you're like, okay, this is the day that I want it done on. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I agree to a contract with you. I am going to knock down that wall. But here's the deal. you got to pay me in advance. No half stuff. You pay me in advance, right? Like I don't, I don't, I don't take it after you got to pay me, and then I'll do the job, right? And so you write me a check for $10,000, and now I'm supposed to come to this day, this Wednesday, I'm supposed to come to your house and knock down this three-foot wall. Now, you, in your mind, what are you expecting from me? No. (laughs) What are you, yeah, well, realistically, but what are you expecting from me when we enter into this contract? Hold up my end of the bargain, right? Like, you want me to come knock that wall down. So you're expecting that I'm going to come knock that wall down and probably that I'm going to do a pretty decent job. Because you just paid $10,000 to have a three-foot wall knocked down. You're probably expecting me to cover the hole in the floor up. You're probably expecting me to paint. And you're probably expecting me to haul all the garbage away. And so you're expect, But the bare minimum of what you're expecting is I'm going to show up and knock that wall down. Now, what if Wednesday rolls around and I don't show up? You're going to call me. You're going to be like, where are you at? And I'll be like, I changed my mind. And then you're going to be like, I'd like my money back. And I'm going to be like, no. Right? Like, I'm going to be like, I'm not giving you your money back. And you'll be like, well, we entered into a deal. You've got to give me my money back. And then you're going to be like, well, I'm going to sue you. Because you didn't do the uh, expectation of what we sat down, what we talked about, and what we entered into a contract for. You were supposed to knock the wall down. That was your one job. We paid you. We had every expectation that when we entered into this contract, you were going to knock that wall down. Now you're not going to do it. But you've already received payment. See, I, I think sometimes that's how we are with Jesus. Is when we, when we go to church and when we read the Bible, we see that there's expectations of us as a Christian. We see that there's things that God expects of us. We see that there's things that He calls us to do when we enter into a relationship. But so often what happens is we take the payment, we take the gift, we take the, the gift of what we're supposed to get for doing the work He's called us to, and we just say, okay, we're good. And then he's like you when you've paid me $10,000 to knock down a wall and I don't do it. He's looking at you and being like, what are you doing? Now, he doesn't look on you with disappointment. So this analogy breaks down right here is because God looks at you with grace and mercy even when you mess up. But if you think about it a little bit deeper, isn't it ridiculous to think that we can have all of the benefits of Christ without following the call that he's called us to? It's like hiring someone to knock down a wall paying them, and then not having them meet the requirements that you asked them to do, and losing out on that investment. See, we have to remember that when Christ calls us, he calls us into a relationship, and a relationship has expectations. When you date somebody, you have expectations of that person, right, that they're going to talk to you in public. If you dated someone and they never talked to you in public, would you still be dating them? No, that's like in the fourth grade when someone says they want you to be their secret boyfriend or girlfriend. It's because they don't want people to be seen with you, and that's just a whole bad situation, right? Like they like your personality, but they don't want people to see you with them. See, when you have a relationship, you have expectations of the other person. You expect them to show up. You expect them to call you. You expect them to want to get to know you. See, with Christ, Christ has those same expectations, and the expectations that are just said are the ones that he has of you, to get to know him, to talk to him, to learn more about him, to seek him, and then to go and make disciples of others. 
But so often we just focus on the reward instead of the call that he calls us to. And if we don't follow the call, will we be rewarded? See, it's so interesting when we think about Christianity because for so long we've been taught all you have to do is say a prayer. All you have to do is this. What about the expectations? Because I had a meeting with you and we agreed upon an amount that I was going to be paid to knock down a wall. And then if I don't do it, you will not be happy with me. Our, our, our relationship is out the window. The agreed upon uh, task that I were to, was to complete is out the window. Now you are angry with me. Now you just want the reward back. See, luckily, Christ is not a human being. And Christ doesn't look upon us with anger like we would another person doing that to us. But Christ still has expectations of us to get to know him, to talk to him, to go and make disciples. God has these expectations of us. In Exodus chapter 8, remember, we've been on a journey of Exodus and uh, I just figured out the other day, and just, just to excite you guys, just to get you guys pumped up. You guys know when we're going to be done with the book of Exodus? June. Yeah, close. June. And you guys know it's July. So I'm talking about next year. How exciting is that? Is it? I'm excited. Are you guys, like, Exodus. It's fun, Right? Haven't you guys had a fun time in Exodus? Man, okay, I'm not talking to you guys anymore today. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. But Exodus has been a journey, and so we're going to continue to walk through Exodus. And with the uh, story that I just shared with you guys, I want that to be on your mind as we look at Exodus chapter 8. And so if you'll turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. And so we saw in Exodus chapter 7, we saw the first plagues, right? We saw the Nile River turn to blood. We saw God perform a miracle with the staff being turned into a snake. And now we're looking at this next piece in Exodus chapter 8 where uh, God tells Moses he didn't listen. Now go back to him and say this. Now, as we've seen, Moses has been said no to a lot by a lot of different people. And so now Moses says, okay, I'm going to go back. That's got to be faith, right? To be like, they've said no this many times, but I trust you, God. I'm going to walk back. And it's taken God a little bit to get Moses there. See, it takes us a while to grow in our relationship with Jesus where we can do these big things that we see others do. It takes us a while to cultivate that with Christ. And so Moses has been cultivating with Christ, with God, and now he's ready to walk into an even bigger endeavor. He's ready to have the rejection and go back. And so it says, go tell Pharaoh, say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship. See, God's intention here is to be glorified. Worship is the glorification of God the Father, right? And so he's saying, I want my people to go so that they can worship me. Even in the midst of everything uh, that's going on, even in the midst of slave labor, even in the midst of being forced to be in a country they don't want to be with no way to escape, he says, I want you to worship me even with the burden that's on your heart. And so he says, Pharaoh, let them go so that they can worship. Worship can be one of the hardest things to do when you feel like everything is falling apart. Worship can be one of the hardest things to do when you feel like you have nothing in your life that's worth anything. Worship can be the hardest thing to do when you don't feel worthy in yourself. But what worship does is worship reminds us that it's about Christ and Him making us worthy. It's about Christ and Him making us worthy. That's why we worship God, because God loves us, because God gave Himself for us, because God is the creator of the earth. And so sometimes we become so short-sighted because we forget that worship is about more than the situation that's happening right now, but the situation that's happening right now is important. But worship is about the bigger picture. 
there's a dude named Francis Chan, and he uh, did this little bit on eternity, and I'm not going to do it, but he took a rope, and he went it all around the room, and then he put a little red dot on that rope, and he was like, this is your life, and the rope is eternity. See, we forget that life is very short. We forget that the situations that we endure are very short, even if they have lasting impact. We forget that they say that time heals all wounds. And that can be the hardest thing to remember. That can be the hardest thing to believe when you're wounded. But every wound that you look at in your past, you see that that was truth. That time healed your wound. And not only time, but God using his time to heal your wound. God using his presence to bring you through. God using his presence to show you, hey, this is a small blip on what's to come. And it's going to have it's going to change you. It's going to make you a different person. The pain, the hurt, all of those things. But that's growing you and preparing you for something new. It's going to hurt. It's not going to feel good. But just worship me and I promise I will get you through it. I promise you, I will show you that I am the same God who set the Egyptians free. I promise you, I am the same God who turns a staff into a tanin, a sea serpent, a snake. I am the same God who can do that. I am the same God who turned the Nile River into blood. I am the same God that's there with you that can perform a great miracle in this moment. The same God who is still at work. How often do we forget that that God is the God that we worship? A lot. I forget it. Some days I wake up and I forget that the God that I worship is the same God that split the Red Sea. Sometimes I wake up and I forget that the same God that I worship is the God who allowed Joshua to walk across the Jordan River with the water uh, like walls. I forget that the same God that I worship is the same God that brought Jesus back from the grave. I forget that the God that I worship is the God who spoke my, me into existence, knitted me together in my mother's womb, and created all things. See, when we forget the God we worship, we forget how big our God is. And when we forget the God we worship and how big he is, we let our situation destroy us. Because when we forget who we worship, we lose our identity. When we forget who God is, it's hard to remember who we are. When we forget who God is, it's easy to be uh, messed up about everything, mad about everything, hurt about everything. When we forget who the God that we worship is, I I would be depressed. It's easy for me to get depressed when I forget how big our God is. It's easy for me to look like the walls are caving in when I forget how big our God is. And so God is telling the Egyptians, you leave here so that you can worship me so that in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, worship me and I'll help you remember who I am. And he says to Pharaoh, if you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. That sounds awful. Have you ever seen a frog? They're disgusting. They scare me. They freak me out. I was at the pediatrician the other day, and a frog jumped over my feet, and I about threw Titus. Like, I was just so scared. I am scared to death of anything that is outside. Yeah, that's why my dog stays inside. Because if she went outside, she would change. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so like bugs and things like that, they, they freaked me out. So for someone to tell me there was a plague of frogs coming, I'd be a little freaked out. Now, frogs are interesting because frogs live in very disgusting environments. That's why they live in swamps and things like that. So frogs are a, a bio creature. They live in uh, swampy disgusting areas and so they're kind of a a representation of those areas does that make sense and so frogs are uh amphibians or or i don't even know if they're amphibians i think they are they're amphibians who live in these uh swampy situations and so for god to say i'm going to send a plague of frogs upon you means something and so during this time when he's sending the plague of frogs the nile river is blood It had just begun to turn away from blood. It had been seven days, and they were almost able to drink the water again. And so the frogs lived in the Nile River. Again, they lived in swampy water areas. And so the frogs obviously couldn't live in the blood, so God repositioned the frogs. He took them out of the Nile River, spread them all across Egypt. And it says that the frogs were in their houses. The Nile will teem with the frogs. They will come up into your place in your bedroom. Who wants frogs in their bedroom? And on your bed, 
into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens and kneading troughs. Think about that. You want to eat where a frog's been? The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then Moses said, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch your hand out with your staff over the streams of the canals and the ponds and make frogs come up from the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. And so frogs uh, were that mark of something uh, gross, right? And so now there's frogs all over Egypt. And so God is showing them how Egypt is detestable to him. He's bringing up all these frogs. He's bringing up, hey, this is to show you that now you're detestable to me, that this is a vile place, that these frogs will overrun this place. And it says that Aaron stretched out his staff and they came and they were in the troughs, they were in the bedrooms, they were on the beds, they were everywhere. You couldn't eat. I'm sure you couldn't sleep because what do frogs do? Ellie knows this. What do frogs do? Ribbit, croak, right? They croak. There's those bullfrogs. Have you guys ever heard one of those things? Think about that. Think about trying to sleep at night and there's a bullfrog right next to your face. There's a bullfrog on your face. How awful it was. How miserable it was. And it says the the magicians came and they did it. Now it's funny as we look at the plagues, but isn't it funny how the magicians always add to the trouble? Right? It says that they made more frogs. First of all, there's already frogs everywhere. So maybe they added three more frogs. And they did it. But isn't it funny that every time they perform uh, one of their miraculous signs, it's always adding to the trouble. See, that's what it is when we try to put our hands on something that God's doing, and we try to take credit for ourselves. We always make it worse. See, there were already frogs. The magicians just added more frogs. If they were really magicians and they really had capable powers, then why wouldn't they have taken away the frogs? See, why wouldn't they said, take away the frogs? That would have shown some kind of power, but all they do is make the situation worse. See, when God is doing something inside of us, we have to remember, He's the one who's doing it. We take the steps He calls us to do, but we do not put our hands on it and try to take glory for it ourselves. See, when God does something, give Him all praise, honor, and glory. He used you, praise God for him using you, but that is not your victory. That is the victory of God who lives inside of you. If you're successful, praise God that he made you successful. You are not successful by your own accord. If God gave you a bank account with money in it, praise God that he filled it. It's not you who filled it, it's him who blessed you with that so that you could bless others. If you're driving a car, praise God that he gave you a car. If you have a job, praise God that he gave you that job. If you have a musical ability or talent, praise God because that's not your own. That's the glory of God who gave you that. If God allows you to do anything, it's because of the glory of His uh, Son, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, and because of God the Father who blessed you with an ability, who blessed you with that. If you're suffering, praise God because God gave you that, because He knows that He's doing something great inside of you. See, praise God for all who blessings flow. Right? Everything that you are is because of God. Everything that I am is because of God. I do not speak by my own fruition. I do not speak by my own ability. I speak by the power of the Holy Spirit who gifted me. Not from the beginning. See, I, can, I used to have anxiety so bad I couldn't speak in front of a group of people. I used to stutter. I used to be paranoid. I could not come and speak in front of, in front of people. But God, when I was 24 years old, gave me the ability to speak. By His glory, I can speak in front of you. That's why many of the times you hear me say I'm not that great of a preacher. It's because I'm not, but God gives me the words. And the words are beautiful because He gifted me with an ability to deliver a message from the Word of God to you. See, praise God that He gave you a pastor who can speak by His ability and not His own. Seminary did not make me a better speaker. God made me a better speaker. God gave me seminary so that I could learn some more, but God is the one who gave me the words. God is the one who untied my tongue. God is the one who brings glory to himself through me. See, God brings glory to himself through you. 
Everything that you have and everything that you are should be given glory to God, not your own ability. The fact that you are still alive. I was talking to BJ and Mickey this morning, and, they, and I said, how are you guys doing? And they said, we're doing good to be so old. It's basically by the grace of God that we're here. Praise God that God brought them here. It's by God's grace that they are here. It's by God's grace that you are here. It's by God's grace that you woke up this morning. And it's by God's grace that you'll go to lunch today. Praise God that he has blessed you with the ability to wake up. Praise God that he has blessed you with the ability to go get lunch. Praise God because when he does something, it should all be given glory to him. See, Pharaoh didn't understand that. Pharaoh said, you did that? Let me show you what we can do. See, the reason that Pharaoh kept springing the magicians is because he didn't want to submit to God. He didn't want to submit his power. He didn't want to submit his authority. He wanted to continue to believe that he was a deity, that he was a God. See, remember, the Egyptians believed that Pharaoh was deity, that Pharaoh was God, that when he died, he would become immortal and become one of the uh, gods. So he didn't want to give that up. He didn't want to submit to something that was bigger than himself because if he submitted to something that was bigger than himself, he would have to give something up. See, it's part of that binding agreement. Right? We make an agreement with God. We, when we submit to God, we submit to change. When we submit to God, we submit to transformation. Submitting to God is not just saying a prayer. Submitting to God is daily coming before him and saying, this is my life. It says, after the frogs continued, in verse 8, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray for the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, this is a big change. Now Pharaoh's coming to Moses and saying, Hey, I don't like these frogs. <laughs> this is getting real disgusting real quick. I found a frog in my baby's diaper this morning. Like We got a situation happening here. We need to get, that doesn't say that in the Bible, that's Ricky Wilson paraphrase. But it's like, we got to do something. And so he says, will you pray to your God that he'll take these frogs away? That's, that's big. Pharaoh had hardened his heart the whole time, but now he says, I'm beginning to see that there's power in your God. It might not be, I want to submit to your God, but he's beginning to awake, awake to the fact that God has power. And beginning to awake to the fact that he can't do it by his own ability. So he says, will you pray to your God? Some of you guys know people like that in your lives. They don't believe in God, but when something bad happens, who they call? And they call on you because they're like, hey, I know that you believe in God. Will you pray to him for me? And you're just standing there like, what are you talking about? Paul McKee, uh, Paul McKee's the leader of the Spartanburg Baptist Network, and he's a uh, part of our family here. He's in Alaska this week telling people about the Lord and just having a great time there, uh, serving with a church. And so if you'll pray for him and that Alaskan team. But Paul told me a story one time when he was a hospital chaplain, and there was a guy that he was uh, not a hospice chaplain. And he was serving a man, and the man said that he doesn't believe in the Lord, doesn't want anything to do with the Lord. And then the guy had gotten up and was going to the shower, and he came out of the shower, and he slipped. And he yells, oh, my God. And Paul said, hey, I thought you said you didn't believe in God. He's like, I don't. And Paul's like, well, you, when you were in trouble, you yelled for him. Right? When we're in trouble, we always want to yell for something. And in the bottom of our heart, we really know that there's a God. In the bottoms of our heart, we really know that there's only one who can save us. Want to know why you know that? Because you were created with it. It says that you were created in the image of God. Pharaoh was created in the image of God. So when Pharaoh found out that all this was happening and his magicians couldn't do it about it, Pharaoh knew how to get out of the situation. Pharaoh just would not allow his pride to allow him to allow himself to leave it. Pharaoh would not submit because if Pharaoh submitted, it would change the trajectory of his entire life. He didn't know what would happen the next day. Maybe he wouldn't be king anymore. He knew that there would be changes that would have to happen. He knew that he would have to make sacrifices if he submitted to this God. And so he just says, will you pray to him for me? And Moses, being the good guy that he is, says, Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting up a time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. So just back to their original inhabitation, right? 
tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Okay, now Pharaoh says, pray for me. Now he says, hey, can we wait till tomorrow? Pharaoh's got, he, he see, he's counting the cost of what it's going to mean. Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know there is a, no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you in your houses and your officials and your people, and they will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought to Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps in the land and reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord said. Man, this is like all of us. We make bargains with God. Have you all ever made a bargain with God? You're like, God, if you'll just do this, I promise I'll quit doing that. And then he does it, and then you're like, well, that was going to happen anyways. It wasn't about what I did. Next time, God... Right? How often do you guys do that? In every movie you see, that's what happens, right? Something bad is happening in a movie, and they pray to God, and they say, God, if you'll just do this, I promise I'll change my life. And God does it, and then they're like, well, that was, that was fun, right? That was a dink. See, God does not bargain with us. That's not the purpose of what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we offer these things to God, just like we offer, just like we commit to these big things that we're supposed to do for others, like me committing to this wall. But in reality, I've committed myself to God, and so often I fall so short of the commitment that I've been called to. And instead of realigning my commitment and saying, God, okay, here's the plan. Here's how we're going to do better. Let me follow you better. Let me seek you more. I say, okay, well, it'll take care of itself. It'll all get figured out. The commitment wasn't really that important. Or maybe I should just take some time away. See, so often when we start to follow God, we get excited. But then we let the excitement wear off when real life hits. Or sometimes in the midst of a storm, it's easy to cry out to God. But when things are better again, it's easy to tell ourselves, oh, that wasn't God. That's just life. See, that's Pharaoh right here. Oh, God didn't really do that. I guess the frogs just died. I guess it was just the end of their life. So they died. And so what's so interesting about the frogs when God takes them away is that they don't just all go back into the Nile. They die. Why is that interesting? Why does that happen? I, I think it's interesting that the frogs died, and it was ultimately a sacrifice of God saying, here is the blood, here is the death for your sin, Pharaoh. I already know, you. God already knew that Pharaoh was going to lie. God already knew that Pharaoh was going to uh, pull a fast one on him. God knew that was going to happen. So God just didn't bring the frogs and take them into heaven. God killed the frogs, and the frogs were dead as a sacrifice to him, but also as a remembrance to look at my dishonesty. Look how it reeks. Says that the land reeks with frogs. See, when we commit ourselves to God or we commit ourselves to a mission, but we don't really want to do it, we just want the benefits that we can receive from it, then your sacrifice is not a sacrifice that is smelling pleasurable to God. Your sacrifice is a sacrifice that reeks with death. See, some of us reek with death. Because we proclaim to follow Christ, but our life does not reflect Christ in any way. There's something called the free grace movement. The free grace movement is this idea that faith is not a necessity for following God. That all you have to do is have faith one time in your life. You give your life to Christ, and then you no longer have to have faith in Him. Now you've committed to the mission, you've given yourself to him, you trust him, and now you just move along with free grace of grace upon grace upon grace upon everything that you do, and it doesn't matter how you live your life. And then I look at that movement, and then I look at the Bible, and I say, where did they get this from? Because the Bible nowhere says, follow me and then live how you want. The Bible says, follow me and it will be easy peasy. The Bible says, follow me and you're going to suffer. The world hates me, and the world will hate you because of me. See, so this idea that we can follow Christ with a one-time commitment is ridiculous. Now, the idea is we do follow Christ, and once we've made the commitment a true commitment, then we give ourselves to him, and we can never lose that. But what we forget is that giving yourself to Christ is not saying a prayer. Giving yourself to Christ is following him.
What does following Christ look like? Seeking him, getting to know him, praying with him, and committing to the mission of God to go and make disciples. See, we forget that the mission of God is not just sitting at home and doing anything we want. We forget about the local church. The local church is important to God. It's why he calls it his bride. You have to be committed to the local church if you want to be committed to Christ. So often I get calls from people at other churches and they ask me to meet with them. And I say, why do you want to meet with me? You have a pastor. Go to him. And they say, well, he doesn't have time. So I say, well, I'll meet with you one time. And we get together, and they tell me all about their troubles, and they ask me to disciple them. And I have to then say the hardest thing that I say to people, I can't disciple you because you're not a part of my church. You might be a part of the church, but if you're not committed to the church that Christ has called me to, then I am doing you a disjustice by being a pastor when you serve at another church to you. You have to be committed to the one who leads you. I am not your shepherd. I, would, I will be your shepherd if you want to come under my uh, leadership, but I cannot be your shepherd if you have a shepherd. Your shepherd is there. If your shepherd doesn't have time for you, I'm sorry, but you probably need to find a new shepherd. Because I'm pretty sure that the Bible says that the shepherd is to tend to their what? Their flock. I can't be your shepherd if you're not a part of the local church that God has called me to. And I apologize for that. And that's what I say to them is I apologize for that, that I can't walk with you. I apologize for that. I can be your friend, and if you ever need me, I'll talk to you on the phone, but I cannot invest my life into a sheep that is not my sheep. And some people say, well, what about the Big C Church? Yes, the Big C Church is a Big C Church made up of local churches. And if we were just concerned about the Big C Church, then the local church would die. And do you know what would die with that? The Big C Church. A church is a family. If anybody in this church called me, I would answer. Now, I might not answer on the first time, but I'm going to get back. See, I would answer you because you're my sheep. And I tend to my sheep. Because we have to remember when we put our hands on something that God's doing and we start to take all these pieces, it reeks of death when we don't follow the commitment by me only discipling you guys, by me only pouring into you guys. I'm fulfilling the commitment that Christ has called me to and I'm offering a sacrifice to God that is pleasing to him because I'm not trying to be a pastor to people who are not under my leadership. Because if I'm a pastor to people who are not under my leadership, all I'm doing is hurting them. Because they're not building a family and a community with their local church. See, when we look at this, this is what Christ is doing. This is what God is doing in the Exodus is he's bringing these people out of this uh, slavery so that they can worship him and so that they can be the picture of the local church. So Pharaoh pulls a fast one. And then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and the dust of the ground and throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. Oh, man, God's like, okay, Pharaoh, you didn't listen. Now I'm going to send gnats on you. And what's interesting is the Hebrew word for gnats could also mean lice. Y'all know what lice is? Have you guys been to the third grade? Right? Where the lady comes in and she got the gloves on, she's checking your head, and then some kids just magically disappear, and you don't see them for a week? That happened to me one time because my niece gave me lice. And I was so mad because do you know how bad lice are? Your head just constantly itches. My parents had to shave my head. I don't know if you've seen the shape of my head, but it's not very good. I do not have a very good shaped head. So as a six-year-old with a shaved head, I did not look good, right? That was the worst day of my life. And so I went up to that point. And so I was six, shaved head. Oh, my gosh, I got lice. And it constantly itched until my parents shaved my head. And so now God says, Pharaoh, you're not listening. Now I'm going to send gnats or lice upon all of your people. And it says, then the magicians came and they tried to replicate this sign. And guess what they couldn't do? They couldn't replicate that sign because there's only one person who can create out of dust and that person is God. You cannot create like God can create. These magicians could not create like God can create. These magicians couldn't replicate it because it was the thing that only God could do. Create life. See, God created you. God created you in your mother's womb and knit you together with a divine purpose. You might not understand why you're here today. 
You might not understand why you woke up early and entered into those doors. You might not understand what purpose you came here with, but I promise you one thing, you have a great and amazing purpose. And I promise you one thing, you're not just here because someone invited you. You're not here because you thought it was the right thing to do. You're here because God created you and knitted you together in your mother's womb, and he has a great purpose for you. He wants you to live a commitment that is glorifying to him. He wants you to see that it's not about just the benefit that you can receive. The benefit is following Christ. It's about the fullness of following Christ. Christ has something great for you. You might not feel worthy, but you're so worthy. You might not feel like you can do anything, but you can do everything through the power of Christ. You might not feel like anybody loves you, but I promise you one thing, Christ loves you. And Christ died for you. And Christ desires you. And what's even more interesting about this, Nats. is that they just ate away at the people. They drove the people crazy. If you've had lice, it's just constantly itching. See, sometimes in our own hearts, in our own souls, we know that Christ is calling for us. We know that Christ wants more from us. We know that he wants us us to live our life for him. We know that he wants something great for us. And it makes us crazy because we're just not ready to enter into it because we feel so unworthy. We feel like we can't do it. We don't have faith. We don't have trust in God because we haven't got to know him. And so we continue to live as if we were just trying to get through life, just trying to survive, just waking up in the morning and going to work and just trying to get home to get back in the bed. How how often does that happen? That happens to me all the time. And because I lose focus on who Christ is, I forget who Christ has called me to be. I begin to become unhealthy on the inside because I focus on all my trouble and I forget how big my God is. I forget that I haven't uh, invested in him. I forget that I haven't allowed him to speak to me. I close my ears because I don't want to hear. Because when Christ speaks, he requires change. Sometimes I don't want to change. Sometimes I don't want to change. Sometimes you don't want to change. And so we sit and we're miserable for that time. And this is what human beings are really great at, realizing how wrong they were. I was just talking to Nick this week, actually, and we were talking about something, and Nick was like, you tell me this every week. And every time I do it, it feels great. Sorry I'm calling you out, Nick. I apologize. That's Nick right there in the back, in case anybody didn't know who he was. So... uh, (laughs) And he was like, I just don't know why I don't do it. And I was like, well, it's because of Satan, because he's really good at what he does. But it's also because sometimes we just are scared to come before God. We, we just want to continue to run. For some reason, we have this idea inside of us that he'll reject us. God doesn't reject us. God loves us. And the magicians even say, this has to be the finger of God. Oh, man, isn't that awesome? The very ones who were contributing to the plan of diminishing the power of God says this must be the finger of God. They realize. See, every plague that God does has a purpose. All these plagues are for the purpose of setting the Egyptians free, but also for the purpose of uh, the purpose of setting the Israelites free, but also for the purpose of setting the Egyptians free. God wants them to come to his heart also. And it says, then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let them go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. These plagues are getting bad. But on that day, I will deal differently with Goshen. Where my people live, no swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I am the Lord and the Lord, and I am in the land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of the officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by flies. So Pharaoh gets hit with another, another plague. But God doesn't touch Goshen. Goshen was where the Israelites lived. Goshen was fine. See, God is so powerful that even when there's just chaos happening on the outside, 
we can have complete and total peace on the inside because God's people look different than everybody else. There's a distinction. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't go through hard things because God's people goes through God's people goes through hard things. Some of you in here right now are going through hard things. So you may have the same hard things, but the beauty in following Christ is you don't deal with them the same way. Because even when everything is chaotic on the outside, you have peace on the inside. And some of you are like, Ricky, what does peace feel like? Peace is knowing that God is in control. You might still feel anxious. You might still feel worried. You might still not understand what's going on. But peace is knowing that God's going to take care of it. And no matter what happens, I'm eternally secure in Him. No matter what falls down, it's okay because I'm brought up with Christ. No matter what happens, Christ is still with me. God is still with me. God still loves me. So peace doesn't always feel like you're just ready to tackle everything. Peace doesn't always feel like things are perfect. But peace is knowing that God is on your side, even when the world is chaotic. See, when God keeps Goshen safe, he is saying, look at my power. This is a whole country, but I can take a piece of this country and keep it safe from the chaos. And I can show you what following me looks like. See, the reason that God is so serious about us following the commitment that he gives us, the reason that God is so serious about us pursuing him is because when people who don't know him see someone who follows him, they recognize that there's something different about them. But if you have the name of Christ and you don't follow him, and you do whatever you want and you never make changes and you just let it happen and you look like the world, all you're doing is diminishing the name of God to those people. Feel that for a second. If you say you're a Christian, but you look just like a person who's not a Christian and your life reflects the same way as a person who's not a Christian, all you're doing is telling them, hey, I like you enough to send you to hell. Now you may be like, Ricky, that's serious. That's for real. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I love the Lord. Yeah, but when we don't reflect Christ, and we're going to make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. Don't think that I'm calling you to a level of perfection. But what I am saying is that you should look different than the world. And when the world sees you, they should know that there's something different about you. Because you, uh, as followers of Christ, should look different than everybody else. And maybe that difference is just when you make a mistake, you admit to it. Maybe that difference is you saying, hey, I can't do that because I am following Christ and I believe that that would diminish my testimony for him. Maybe I can't do that because if I do that, it's going to hurt me on the inside and that's going to help me hurt other people. Maybe I don't want to do that. See, but we forget sometimes when we hurt ourselves, we're hurting Christ. Because some of the decisions that we make are going to hurt us. They're going to destroy us. When I think about the things that hurt people in the world, they're things that we choose to do. Pornography destroys you from the inside out. It destroys those women that you're watching, those men that you're, it destroys their image. The image that they were created for in Christ, it destroys them. And if you continue to partake in that, all you're doing is contributing to uh, push to sex trafficking. You're contributing to that if you watch pornography. Do you feel me? You are saying you are not worthy and you're contributing to the sex uh, selling industry. You are a part of human trafficking if you're watching pornography. I want you to understand when I say that. You have to look different than the world. When you sleep with somebody and give, your, and give them that piece of yourself and you're not committed to them, all you're doing is hurting your own worth. You're destroying yourself. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting the value that God created you with because they just took a piece of you. And some of you feel like you have to do that to be accepted. All you're doing is destroying you because Christ will accept you because he sees you as beautiful and loved. You have to look different than the world. We have to look different than the world. We have to be set apart. The Israelites couldn't bend the Egyptians. They tried to be, but God came in and showed them the way. See, the flies are so interesting because they would flock to something dead. If you all ever seen something dead, there's flies all over it. So the flies were just a very interesting plague because it's like they're coming around the death, coming around the destruction, coming around the vileness. 
It's almost signaling that there's signaling that there's death there. So God uses these flies to be a symbol of the death that's already there and the death that's to come. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. See, Pharaoh says, well, what if you just did it here? Then I'm safe. Then it's okay. See, he tries to take something great that God wants to do, and he tries to put his own rules on it. Well, this is what God, following God really looks like. No, it's not. You don't put your own spin on what God is calling you to do. You don't put your own spin on the Bible. The Bible's very clear. You follow the Bible, right? You'll never follow it perfectly. Want to know why? Because you can't do it perfectly, because only Christ can. Only Christ is perfect. You are not perfect. So Pharaoh tries to put his own spin on it. Pharaoh said, I will let you go offer sacrifice to the Lord in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. And then Moses says, that's not going to happen. And then Pharaoh says, well, you can't go very far. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord uh, tomorrow the flies and will be leave Pharaoh and his officials. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices of the Lord. Then the Lord left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did that Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and the people. Not a fly remained, but the time also Pharaoh hardened his heart that and would not let the people go. See, Pharaoh continues to go back on his word. Pharaoh continues to go back on his commitment. See, we're all going to fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. I fall short every single day. But you know what my commitment to Christ looks like when I fall short is coming before him and saying, Christ, I, I don't want to do that. I want to seek you. I want, I, want, I want you. I don't want that or this or this sin or that sin. I want you. See, when we fail, what it looks like as a Christian to come before God is to say, God, I failed this way. Forgive me and help me to seek you. Help me to know you. Help me to want you more than I want that. Give me victory over this. But so often what it looks like is, oh, I did this. Now I'm going to do it a hundred more times. Because it's not that bad. Or now I'm just going to continue to live my life exactly how I want. Because I said a prayer. Hey, if you're in the business world and you make a contract with somebody and they don't follow through, you're not just going to be okay with them being like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I just forgot. Now I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to keep messing up 34 times. It's okay. It's not that bad. If you're in the business world and someone says, it's not that bad that I uh, haven't brought you your material, you're going to be like, you're fired. And then you're going to tell everybody in town, do not use that guy. That guy is not who he says he is. That guy is not living up to his commitment. It's funny how in the business world, it's funny how it work. It's funny when we make a deal for a car, let's say you bought a car and you were supposed to pay $300 a month and then your first payment comes and it's $600. Are you going to be real happy with the bank? It's going to be like you didn't live up to your commitment. I can't afford $600 a month. See, Christ is real clear with his commitment. It's not about following rules. It's not about following regulations. It's about giving yourself to him and letting him change you, letting him transform you, and letting him show you that he loves you enough to die on the cross for you. That every time you mess up, you can come to him in repentance. You can come to him, and he'll give you grace. He'll give you mercy. When you expect shame and you expect guilt, he wants to take that. And he wants to give you glory. He wants to give you forgiveness. See, Christ loves you that much. Maybe Christ is calling you to step up your commitment. Because real honestly, the world needs Christians to step up their commitment. There's a lot of people who don't know the Lord. And some of you might be like, well, our church isn't big enough to change the world. And I'm like, this is all I need. If everybody in this room was fully committed to Christ, we would change the world like nobody ever has. You know what's interesting about that is every year in South Carolina, I think last year the number was like just in South Carolina and just in our denomination was like 100,000 baptisms. So that means 100,000 new workers every single year. So if we think about that, 100,000 new workers every single year over a 10-year span, that's a million new workers. There's only 265,000 people in Spartanburg. So if we're having that many, a bunch of them should be from Spartanburg. So why does Spartanburg still look exactly the same? Why does South Carolina still look exactly the same? 
Why does the world still look exactly the same? Why are we actually becoming less Christians when we're baptizing more over the same amount of believers, when we're sending more workers into the harvest? Why do we continue to look exactly the same? Well, I'll tell you why we continue to look exactly the same, because we don't live up to our commitment, and we don't have somebody to help us follow through with our commitment. We don't have someone to teach us the Bible, which is very complicated to understand, and we don't have somebody to walk with us and challenge us. See, that's why our church is about discipleship. If you're here, you're probably in a discipleship relationship, and you're probably seeing how the benefits of that is. You're probably growing. Now it's time for the next thing. You might be in discipleship. You might be a part of this church. Now it's time to take you up a level and say, I want to fulfill the commitment that Christ has called me to. I want to make disciples. I want to be used in the kingdom of God. I want to be used by the power of God. I want to live up to the commitment that I offered to him when I was 6 years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, 30 years old. I don't care. You want to live up to that commitment. See, maybe today God is telling you to step up. Because remember what Jesus did for you when he stepped up. He went to the cross. He left heaven and came to earth because we were all sinners and because we needed to be reconciled with God. God loved us that much he wanted us back. And so he sent his son Jesus who went through mockery and ridicule, got beaten, got abused, and then went to a cross. You know what he did on that cross? He got nailed to that cross. You know why he got nailed to that cross? Because he was fully intending to die on that cross. You know what he did do on that cross? He did die on that cross. And you know what he did when he died on that cross? Took all of your imperfection, all of your sin, all of your disobedience away with him when he died on that cross. And so now you are a clean vessel through the power of Christ. And so Christ said, if you want to follow me, repent and be baptized. And so we now we're given a command. Now because Christ died for us, we can be saved. If we repent and be baptized and follow God in faith, we will be saved. So what does it look like? It doesn't look like repentance and baptism only. It looks like following God in faith. And so if you've been if you've been baptized but you've never repented, then you did it wrong. Because repentance isn't just turning away from your sin. Repentance is changing your mind about what sin is. Repentance is changing your mind and your purpose. That's what the uh, Greek word and the Hebrew word both mean. It means to change your mind and your purpose. Not to just turn away from. Because if you just turn away from cake, that cake is still there. And you know what you can do? You can turn right back around to that cake and eat that cake. Then your diet's ruined. See, repentance is saying, I don't even want that anymore. (laughs) That's nothing compared to what I have in Christ. And then when you make a repentant decision like that, that changes you. That says, I don't care about the life aspirations. I don't care about the goals that I set. I only care about Christ now. And you might be like, well, Ricky, I don't want to just not have a life. I, I got to work. Yeah, you do. That's why it says Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be added. If you seek God, you got nothing to worry about. He's going to take care of everything else. It might not always look like you expect, but he's going to take care of it. He's going to walk you through it. So to live up a commitment of Christ, we have to do things. Not because we have to, but because we get to. 